Well, speaking of birthdays, I heard a cute story recently about a man who was celebrating his 100th birthday, and someone asked him what he was most proud of. And the man said, I don't have any enemies. And the person said, wow, that's remarkable. I mean, after such a long life, congratulations, how wonderful. And the birthday boy said, yep, I've outlived them all. <laughs> now, I have no idea if that's actually a true story, but I do know that the absence of an enemy in our lives is not a mark of holiness. I used to think it was. I didn't want any enemies. I wanted everybody to like me. Does anybody else suffer from that affliction? <laughs> but being liked by all people all the time is not a straight shot to heaven. In fact, just even thinking about that makes me cringe a little bit. God's expectation is not that we're going to be the most popular cool kid in school. And that's okay, because you know who else wasn't the most popular? Jesus. I mean, talk about enemies. Jesus is constantly having to remind his disciples that the world will hate them. People will hate you, he would say, but just remember, they hated me first. You see, there's an assumption by God that we are going to have enemies. Not everybody is going to like us. And that's kind of reassuring in some ways, isn't it? It kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. I know my mom used to say, not everybody's going to like you, Sharla, but I didn't believe her. <laughs> you know, I thought I knew something she didn't know. Mom, of course everybody's going to like me if I just behave in the right ways. But then here's God saying to us, making it perfectly clear, not only is that not the case, but that enemies are to be expected. And God is much more concerned with how we treat those people than whether or not we can win them over with our wit and charm. We will have people who don't like us, who don't dis or who don't agree with us, who think that we're stupid or stuck up or both. There will be people who challenge our values or who who we challenge theirs and they will never let us live it down. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been hurt by someone and you wanted to hurt back, right? You don't have to, shoot, you don't have to do a show of hands, it's okay. Because I know, I know where that comes from. But if someone yells at you, you want to yell back. If somebody says something unkind or downright mean, you, you're tempted to just give it right back to them. I'll never forget at a high school reunion I was at many, many years ago, I watched as a, a male and female student reunited, and when they came together, for, for reasons I can never explain to you, this young man looked at this young girl that we graduated, graduated with and said, wow, you gained weight. And without missing a beat, she looked at him and said, and you got bald. You know, it's kind of a funny story, but I think that as I walked away, I just thought, you know, it's a great example of how quickly we can engineer those feelings of revenge. I feel hurt, so I'm going to hurt back, right? You've probably heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. 
Because when we are injured in mind, body, or spirit by someone, we have a natural instinct to want to fight back, defend ourselves, armor up a little bit, defend our egos that have been hurt. Violence begets violence. And this happens over and over again in everything from family dynamics. You know, mom uses a harsh tone of voice and, and, and the kid lashes out and says, I hate you. Bar fights to, to football fields to nations. You hurt us, we're going to show you who's boss, right? Revenge. And lurking underneath that revenge is this cultural dynamic of self-protection. We want to protect ourselves, protect our way of thinking, of being, of feeling, of showing up in the world. Protection and armor. We build our whole identity around things like our careers, status, social circles, politics. And then we find like-minded people within those spheres. Then we have this ethos of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So we wind up aligning ourselves with people who hate the same kind of people. Why do we do that? It's all about me, my identity, myself, and how now I can justify it because I've got all these other people. I've got to protect my tribe. But Jesus, Jesus said to us, for God so loved the world. He didn't say God so loved your tribe. He didn't say God so loves your sports team. He didn't say God so loves your church or your neighborhood. He didn't say God so loved the Republicans. God so loved the Democrats. In fact, in honor of Washington's birthday this weekend, I'll, I'll give you a little tidbit. Did you know that George Washington said one thing will be the enemy of democracy? This was in his farewell speech to the United States of America. The first president of the United States said that the political party itself was the enemy of democracy. And he said it's because it kindles animosity and provokes the occasional riot and insurrection. The President of the United States said that 225 years ago. Tribalism, revenge, enemies. But Jesus said, for God so loved the world. And Jesus said about showing us how to love that world too. Which is all well and good when we hear Jesus talking about loving our neighbor, loving the poor, loving the stranger, loving the oppressed. We like to hear stories about loving the sinners, loving the strangers, loving ourselves. You know what we don't like to hear so much? Loving our enemy. That we should be like God who was kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's what Luke tells us right here in this gospel this morning. 
In chapter 6, verse 36, he said, God is merciful to the ungrateful and the wicked. We're supposed to be like that, Jesus says. But those, those people who hate you, yeah, do good to them. Those, the ones who curse you, bless them. The ones who strike you on the cheek, just give them the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, go ahead and give them your shirt. Give to anyone who begs from you. And if you give someone something, don't ask for it back. This is how we're supposed to treat our enemies, by loving them. It's the most countercultural thing on the planet. Are, are you kidding me? I mean, he just, nope, love them. But, but yeah, but she, she just, nope, love them. And here's the part that I find most fascinating. Jesus says to us in this passage today, oh, by the way, don't bother patting yourself on the back for loving people in your tribe. That's easy. That's like low-hanging fruit, right? You don't even have to raise a finger for those folks. They're already in your camp. No, Jesus says, what I'm asking is hard. I get it. And it's what we do anyway. Bishop Michael Curry of the Episcopal Church said recently that Christians do not demonize other people, whether on the right or the left. Followers of Jesus' teachings, he said, don't put down people who are of different faiths. They don't put down Muslims. If you follow Jesus, he said, you don't put down immigrants. You don't put down people whose politics differ from yours. Instead, Bishop Curry said, just love the way Jesus loved. I love that. Just love the way Jesus loved. Love your enemies. Do good. Expect nothing in return. Be merciful to the ungrateful and the wicked. It's hard, but it's what we do. And we do it for our own good as well as for the good of the other. We don't do it because if we don't hate our enemies, God will love us more. We don't do it because if we engineer revenge on someone who wronged us, God won't let us into heaven. That's not what's being said here. We love the way Jesus loved because to do anything else will kill us from the inside out. It will rot us. You might remember the Star Wars movie. I think it was um, Empire Strikes Back. Yoda convinces Luke Skywalker to go into this cave, right? This deep, dark, scary cave. But he says to him, don't be fearful, although Yoda probably would have said something like, be fearful, not you. But thank you. <laughs> He convinces Luke Skywalker to go into this cave, and he says, don't bother taking your weapon with you even. You have nothing to be afraid of. Of course, Skywalker doesn't listen to him. He takes his weapon because he's scared, right, and going into that cave. And who does he come across? Darth Vader, his sworn enemy. And so, of course, he takes his weapon, and he whew, chops off Vader's head, or so he thinks. Because when he looks down at the ground after killing Darth Vader, he realizes that what he has really done 
is kill himself. The person that he's looking at on the ground is not Darth Vader, but Luke Skywalker. It's this very confusing and sort of surreal scene, but my takeaway is that our fixation on killing our enemies, whether figuratively or metaphorically, um, or really, killing our enemies, hatred, violence, oppression, it's all born out of fear. Fear of other, fear of not being enough, fear of change, fear of God's wrath, fear of needing to protect myself and my interests at all costs, and that fear will eventually drive us to the dark side. And what we wind up doing is killing ourselves from the inside out. If we really want to follow Jesus, we are supposed to live as he lives, fearlessly and mercifully and generous beyond comprehension. To love this way means having at least the hope in our hearts of harboring goodwill toward everyone, including our enemies, and then acting on that goodwill that we have. Jesus tells us that even the golden rule here, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is insufficient here. Jesus mentions it, yes, right there in verse 31 in today's reading, he does say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But then he goes on to make it clear that we're not supposed to just treat others as we want to be treated. We're supposed to treat them as God would treat them. See, God knows that even though the command to love ourselves is included in the command to love, we're not very good about that. And so he ups the bar. Don't love them like you expect to be loved. That won't be good enough. That won't be a high enough bar. Love them like I love them. And that means be merciful. Be compassionate. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Listen more than you speak. Seek to understand. Find common ground. Forgive. For God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Those are the words that the Lord spoke to Moses in the book of Exodus, and various uh, variations of that are given to us all throughout Scripture. So we know, we know who God is and how God loves And now Jesus is asking us in no uncertain terms to do that. Here in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is telling his disciples also that this is a way of life. It's a matter of course. He's not setting this up as as some ideal way of behaving, something that's supposed to be aspired to, but never really gotten there. No, Jesus is expecting his disciples to actually live this way. And if you find yourselves asking, how? Well, Jesus knew better than anyone what we humans are capable of with God's help. 
In the Old Testament, God said to the Israelites, return to me and I, your God, will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, God said to them. That is the God that will equip us for this hard work, the excruciating work, the not even fair work of loving our enemies, the who, them, people in our lives. Yes, them. And here's how we're going to do that. We cannot do it alone. We place our trust in God to give us a new heart, to give us a new spirit. Robert mentioned last week a quote from C.S. Lewis, and many of you have repeated it back to us this week, so I know it meant something, and I'm going to repeat it again right here because it's so appropriate. C.S. Lewis said, I can't, God, you must. It's a very simple prayer. I can't, you must. When we're feeling fearful, threatened, revengeful, hateful, and we are called as followers of God to be loving and merciful and kind to who? To the ungrateful and the wicked? Sometimes I can't, you must, God. Create in me a new heart. So I invite us now to just a a moment of silent reflection a short prayer of your own, if you would, and just ask God, you know the enemies within each of us, those who would seek to destroy, those that we only think might do us harm. So turn our hearts, God, to be merciful like you, to trust in you as we pray silently for a moment.